it did happen in the lives of three men that we're going to look at in Daniel chapter 3. Three young men, maybe not very far in age from Captain Kolokoskov. In fact, maybe a lot more connected with him than you think. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are men of great promise. They are men that have a lot of things going for them, but they have a problem when they come in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man on the earth, and also possibly one of the most egotistical men that has ever lived, set up a golden statue and he said to everyone in his kingdom, you will bow the knee and you will give the word of praise to this golden statue or you will perish. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided not only would they not bow the knee, they would not give the word of praise and they would stand firm in their conviction. Life and death was their choice. They chose death. And we wonder, is that kind of devotion possible for ordinary men? And in this story, we find out that it is. I want you to look and see what they said to the most important and powerful ruler on the face of the earth. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Mustn't despair. I want you to think about what that moment was like. I want you to put yourself in the place of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to think about what it was like to stare down the most powerful man in the world and say, I don't care what you say. I'm not participating. I'm not going to do it. Now, if you happen to be the most powerful man in the world, you happen to have had it your own way all your life, this moment when you have three Jewish slaves looking at you going, nope, not going to do it, things are not going to go well in your spirit, and they didn't with this man. He becomes incredibly angry. I want you to look at how Scripture describes him beginning in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of his strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them in the blazing furnace. The Hebrew literally says the expression on his face changed. Now, when you've gotten some bad news or when you've gotten some things that you don't agree with, Maybe you're like me and you have facial Tourette's. And everybody knows exactly what you are thinking because they can see it on your face. When I'm not happy, here's what happens. My jaw clenches. 
My wife says, my auto, see, my, my eyes are kind of, kind of beady anyway. They even narrow a bit more. And I have this look on my face that just basically sits there and lets you know I'm not very happy. Neither is Nebuchadnezzar. The expression on his face has changed tremendously. And it says he orders the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter. Seven is a number that has great significance. In this case, what's really being said is, I want this as hot as we can possibly make it. I don't know how experienced you are with fire. I've had some experience. Troy and I have had some conversations about finest amen and things he blew up because of fire. <laughs> there are some experiences in my own life. I remember being eight years old. And as an eight-year-old, I, we went to my grandparents' farm every weekend. I always got to take a buddy with me to go to the farm. It was always a great experience. Now, this is 1968. Cable television existed, but barely. You had at one o'clock in the morning, I don't care if it was a weekend morning, the TV test pattern that showed up. They literally, I know for those of you that are under the age of 40, you don't believe me, but they actually signed off on television. They played the national anthem and then the screen went to a test pattern that was there. An interesting little moment. Now, my buddy and I had gotten to that. As eight-year-old boys, we decided we were going to stay up all night long. And he looked at me and he said, I'm hungry. Let's roast some bologna. And I went, I'm game. I'm hungry too. How are we going to roast bologna? He said, well, we got a fireplace here. But we did. We're sitting, we, we got our pallets out in the middle of the den where the fireplace is. We're in good shape, right? And so, with our great fire building skill, we go outside, we gather the wood, we put it in the fireplace. And you know, I was in Boy Scouts at that time. It was Cub Scouts, but I still hadn't mastered that skill of setting a fire the right way. I always had the way to cheat, and that was using lighter fluid. But I went to the cabinet, and guess what? No lighter fluid. None. And I said, I guess we're hosed. There's nothing we can do. We have no lighter fluid. We're not that skilled in lighting this fire. We can be at this all night long. And my buddy goes, wait a minute. Didn't I see a gasoline can outside when we got the wood? And I went, yeah, we did. He said, oh, we'll get this thing to work that way. We go outside, we get the gasoline can, we pour gasoline all over that wood. I have a healthy respect for life. My buddy, obviously not as much. And he decided he was going to be the fire starter in our bunch. And he takes this match and he lights it and he throws it into the flame. I can almost see it as a slow motion event. As soon as that match contracted, contracted that gasoline, it was like this firing flamethrower comes out. I remember diving to the left out of the way. 
my buddy wasn't so lucky. That fire singed every eyebrow. There's no hair. It took his eyelashes off. It took the center part of his hair off. He looked like a combination of Harold Curtis and Jim Jones. And he's eight years old. And his face had this kind of orange color to it. And we both kind of looked at each other and we're kind of checking fingers and toes and making sure all that stuff was still there. And he looks at me and he asks maybe the stupidest question I've ever been asked. He goes, you think my dad's going to notice? Duh! Have you looked at yourself in the mirror? Have you got any idea what you look like? Yes, I think your dad is going to notice this event. Listen, it's humorous when you don't get burned up. But fire has always been one of the most inhumane ways that man has ended the life of man. You think about it in the Salem witch trials. You think about it in the case of someone like Joan the Ark, where fire was used to make an example of the worst of the worst in this moment. And here are these three men who are going to be made an example of, and they face this voluntarily. A single word, a single bow of the knee, and their life can be different. Look at verse 21. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I want you to take a look at what... They call the backdraft effect. I think there's a picture of that if we've got it. This is when fire and oxygen and gas all come together in such a way that it creates this sucking motion. That it pulls everything that's close to it inside. 1991, Ron Howard produced a film that was called Backdraft. And it talked about what happens when you open the door and when you make a move and when you allow oxygen to hit this. I want you to understand the power of this moment because if you look at this passage of Scripture, that's exactly what's happened here. It literally, it literally just destroyed anything close to them. And I want you to stop and think what these young men must have been experiencing. They are faithful until the very end. They have heard the king's edict. They have not bowed. What would you be feeling? They are bound hand and foot and they're being carried into this flaming inferno. What would that be like for you? What would it be like for them? What are the emotions you feel in that moment? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it terror? Is it horror? Is it that sense of unfairness? Because after all, they have done everything right. And yet it looks like their life is going to end. And then they find themselves in the flames. 
And they're expecting this moment where it's just immense pain instantaneously, where their lungs are seared and they're unable to breathe and they suffocate, but nothing. They feel nothing except normal. And the flames are so hot that their their bonds are burned off and they're able to walk around inside the flame. There's no burns. Nothing is different. And so you have this miracle. But there is something that happens that makes the miracle a divine encounter. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around the fire unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The word that's used here for amazement is the word that we get our word trepidation from. Have you ever had fear and trepidation where you just are so, you can't even begin to process how this has occurred and what's going on and how you're supposed to make sense of this moment. But all Nebuchadnezzar knows is we put three in that fire and yet there is a fourth that is walking around that fire. Who is that fourth man? Who is the one that cheats death? Who looks like a son of the gods? Here's my question. Could it be it was the son of God? It kind of sounds like something he would do, doesn't it? What do you think the fourth man said to the three that were in the fire? Again, put yourself in this story. Don't read it as the story that you used to read as a child. Think about what this thing was really like for the men who were experiencing this moment. Did the fourth man, you think, talk to them about how proud the father was of them for their faith? How remarkable it was for them to stand firm in spite of all of the pressure that was coming their way. How, how this moment that should have been something that was rewarded turned out to be something that was even greater than they could ever experience. What did the fourth man say to them? What did the three say to the fourth man? Did they sit there and with awe and gratitude fall on their knees before him? Did they look at him and with great thanksgiving sit there and talk about, you don't know what it's like. We believed you might deliver us. We just didn't believe you would deliver us this way. This is one of the most ironic moments in all of Scripture. And here's the irony. They were going to withhold worship from a false God, 
And yet they end up worshiping like they've never, ever worshipped before because they find themselves in the presence of the one that they would always sit there and worship. The furnace, the thing that looks like it would end their life, turns out to be the greatest thing they've ever experienced. It's the can't-miss event of their life because the furnace is the place where they meet God. See, I will tell you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were hoping to be delivered from the furnace. But God decided to deliver them in the furnace. Sometimes God does deliver people from the furnace. He did it with Peter. He did it with Paul. He did it with others. But sometimes God delivers people in the furnace. I think that Christ said to them what he says to us today. I will meet you in the furnace. I think that's one of the beauties of the cross. I want you to think about that. This Jesus who prayed that same prayer. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But not my will. Yours be done. And the Father let him go to the cross... And as he comes to that last moment of crucifixion, he says, it is finished. And post-crucifixion and post-resurrection, he tells these who in that moment when the furnace showed up for them, ran from it as quickly as they could, not wanting to be near anything that looked like their own demise. He looks at them and he says, in this world, you are going to have trouble. Things are going to show up that are not good. Problems are going to exist that you never saw coming. You are going to have trouble, but be of courage. I have overcome the world. How did they know it to be true? Because they understood what he'd done at the cross. And they had met them in the furnace. See, Jesus still says to people today, I will meet you in the furnace. It may be dark, it may scare you, but I will be right there. If you will follow me to the end, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My yoke really is easy. Your burden really will be light. I will walk you through these moments all the way through. Look at verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their body, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Let me tell you what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's hedging his bets. Throughout all of this section of Daniel... It is Nebuchadnezzar standing up saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the one you need to fall down and worship, I'm the one that's in charge. God always sits there and he defeats that in Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar always has this moment of repentance because God turns out to be God. 
And God turns out to be in charge. And God turns out to do amazing things in moments when you don't think amazing things are going to happen. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar do with these folks? He not only restores them, he promotes them. He gives them positions of great power and great authority. Here's my question. What do you think the rest of their lives were like? See, this is where they disappear. Daniel chapter 3 is where we lose Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know what happens to them from this point on. And so we are left to wonder what could have happened to them. I wonder what they did. I wonder on the anniversary, you know, that's how we deal with things, right? We look at the anniversary of events, of things that happened, both good and bad, and we always reflect back on those moments. I wonder if the same thing was true with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they look back at that moment and remember what it would have been like? Did they ever ask themselves, you know, we almost missed this. See, my question is, how close did they come to bending the knee? How close did they come to saying the word of praise that was there. And if they had done it, they would have missed the most important event of their life. They defied a king. They walked in flames. And for a few moments, they were face to face with the Son of God and they changed the course of a nation. Here's what I know. If you ever spend time in the furnace... If you ever trust God enough to go to that place that looks so frightening and so terrifying, if you ever trust Him enough to choose what really matters and you are willing to take that all the way to the end, you will never be the same again because those moments mark you. They change you. You carry that to the grave with you. Great story. It has been illustrated on flannel graphs throughout the ages. Veggie Tales took it and made something out of it. Buck Denver, what's so amazing about the Bible? It, it, it's got a place there. Listen, it shows up in children's stories everywhere. It's one we have taught in Sunday school throughout the ages. Here's my question. What's it mean for us? What does it have to say to me? And what does it have to say to you? I've dwelt in this story this week. I've spent time here. Because I've wondered what the story is trying to teach me. Here's what I found. Maybe the greatest danger for Christ followers in a world that is designed for comfort and ease is that our greatest goal in life becomes furnace avoidance. Oh, we want to do great things for God. Oh, We want our church to be the place where great things are happening. But when the heat gets turned up, we go running backwards. 
When somebody pushes us a little bit, when they challenge us some, when the flames start moving up, we want to back out of there and go, okay, let's take a step out of that. Let's don't go any further here. So here's my question for all of us, and here's my statement for us. Do something dangerous out of this story. Stop asking for less heat. Stop asking for easier, richer, and more secure. Try a dangerous prayer on for size. God, give me an opportunity to show my devotion to you. Ask for the presence of the fourth man at work, in families, at church. Stop asking for deliverance from the furnace and start asking for the presence of God who meets us in the furnace. I don't know where your circumstance is, but I know where mine is. And I know that I have come very close to bowing the knee to statues that have names like ease, comfort, security, and success. And yet when I read this story and when I look at Hebrews chapter 11 and I look at those heroes of the faith, I cannot find a single one where it was easy. I can't find a single one where trouble didn't come their way in spades. I can't find a single story where people weren't inconvenienced, time didn't press in, money wasn't cost. All of those things happen because all of those things are necessary for us to have a God who will meet us in the furnace and for our faith to build in the way that it needs to build. We walk away. Because the flames get too hot. So what does Jesus say to us? Here's what he says. Follow me. And you'll have a joy that is beyond circumstance. You'll have power that's beyond measure. And you will be in trouble with the people of the world all the time. Guaranteed. If you're not in trouble, check your faith. If church becomes something you come to, as opposed to who you are, read this story. Because this story tells us, as a church, who we're supposed to be. People that aren't going to bend the knee. People who aren't going to say the word. Here's the biggie, y'all. You look at those 11, take Judas out of the equation. Look at how their life ended. By the world's standards, not well. Not well. But at the end of the day, 
as Peter was facing crucifixion upside down. As others were sacrificed to the lions in the midst of the arena. As all of these things occurred and as all of these things happened, every one of those men who turned the world upside down, remember what they said about them. They are ignorant. They are unlearned. There is no way they should have any kind of kingdom influence, but they all realized they had been with Jesus and because they had been with him, he equipped them to do everything they needed to go and do. And at the end of it all, when it all got turned on its head, they looked up and they said, mustn't despair. The God of all gods will meet you in the flames. And he may not deliver you from them, but he will walk you through them and take you to where you need to be. So this morning, 